So if you have your outline, now's a great time to pull it out. Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, I highly encourage you, even though I provide the scriptures on the, on the screen, to bring your Bibles. The Bible is the Word of God. So become familiar with it so you actually know where Genesis is and where Matthew is. Genesis 2, new series. Friends, there are many forces today out there that are challenging the concept of family. Family today. There are a lot of voices out there saying things like this. The family is finished. It's out of date. That was fine 100 years ago or the last 2,000 years, but not today. That's what some people are trying to say out there, some voices. It's a thing of the past. Or what you're more commonly going to see happen is it's a thing that needs to be redefined. In my country, one of my countries, which I have a citizenship for, they're trying to redefine the family to include three or more parents. They're called thruples. You heard of couples? Thruples. Or more. Why stop at three, by the way? I can think of plenty of reasons, but, but that's where it's going. They're trying to redefine in law what a family is. Friends, it's not finished. Family, right now, is fragmented as I look across culture. But it needs to be strengthened. Family. Now, have you noticed, for example, even in the movies and the media, how family's portrayed these days? There's all sorts of aberrations. And really, in fact, I struggled as I was preparing for this message to think of a single portrayal in the current media of a happy, normal family. But it's often covered in very strange aberrations. So what does the Bible have to say about family? What does it say? And why is a family so important? Well, we're going to start today way back at the very beginning over here in Genesis to creation to see what the Bible and God has to say about family. Let's go back there in Genesis 2. I'm going to read verse 18 and 24. The Bible says, the Lord God said, it is not good, not good. By the way, for all the previous creations, things he's created, as you read through the Genesis stories, he says, it is good. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Then he comes to this one and says, it is not good. So there's a change here. What's going on? It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now, notice two things. Number one, the family is God's idea. It was his institution, so it's not finished. It's just fragile as people walk away from God's plan for marriage. As people walk away from it, the world will get God's plan. It gets darker. Secondly, there, God made Adam and put him in a perfect environment. Think about that. There were no problems, no stress, no difficulties. But even in the middle of that, he said, it's not good. You need, you're not complete. So God made him a wife. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he made him a helper, a lover, an equal, a wife. See, friends, people are made, are made for people. You're never meant to be alone. We need relationships. As a young fella who grew up in a fairly tough environment, I figured all I needed was myself until I came to the end of myself. We need relationships. Men. Women have got this figured out by and large. But us men, it take a little longer. Now, whether you're married or not, 
You need some deeper relationships and caring people in your life. That is God's design and will for you. Man was not made by his designer to be alone. So he created the family. Then he looked and he said, now it's good. Now, so what's the family for? And that's the title of today's message. Now, years ago, you know, friends, I would never have had to even talk about this subject. It was common knowledge. Everybody knew what a family was for. But today, sadly, many people have no clue what family is for. And for many people today, as I look at across the culture, family, you could summarize their answer, is two words, pretty much. Bed and breakfast. <laughs> and then they're gone. That's it. It's simply, for some, an economic necessity. It gives them some advantage. It's more like a partnership these days. It's a sort of way station for sleep and breakfast between working and God says, no, 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 no. There is much, much more from this in the family. So what's the family for? Number one, family is to be a shelter in storms that come your way. A shelter. It really is a shelter. We have all sorts of storms in life because life is tough. It rains. It pours sometimes. And things don't always go as we had planned. So we need a place of protection, stability, and security. Now I want you to notice this next verse. Proverbs 14, 26. Reverence for the Lord, for the Lord gives a man deep strength, deep strength. Notice the implication for this. His children have a place of refuge and security. Re you want to have children who are strong and have are deeply secure? Anchor them in things that will not change. And the Lord's love for them will never change. People's love, mate. Oh, it does. So circle there, refuge and security. Do your children have a place of refuge and security? And that is from the torrent of the ideas and things that will try and tear them down and say, you are not worth anything. Unless you own this, you wear this, you look like this, you're this height, you're this size, you're this shape. They will try and tear them down. That's the world's ideas. Do your children, can they stand? Do they have a refuge from that rubbish? Now as parents, we found our security, as Christian parents, we found our security not in things that fade. See, if your children see you putting your trust in stuff that can be taken from you, and one day that stuff's taken from you, you're stuffed. Excuse the colloquialism for those listening overseas. That in New Zealand means you're in deep doo-doo. You're in deep weeds. We as parents find our refuge in the Lord. So our children and our grandchildren look to you, to what you trust in. You're sending out signals, invisible signals. And they're looking to see what you trust in. And they will learn from observation what we actually trust in in the storms of life. 
And the Bible says that God created our family to be a shelter in the storms. That's where children, our children learn from our examples. And where we really, you know, what do we really lean into when things get going tough? Now, there are three kind of quick storms that can come into our lives and will definitely come into our children's lives. And this is where we need a family to help us through. And the first kind of storm that comes into all of our lives that not many people really like, and that is the storm of change. The storm of change. We're living in, a, in an era of rapid change. When your friends leave, When your job unexpectedly changes, your health is taken from you. Actually, because we live in a, 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 an era of rapid change, we even have a way to measure that. There's a great saying in the company I used to work for, you can never manage what you cannot measure. That's the truth. It's actually called the home stress scale. I'll put it up there. Next slide. There it is. I'm not sure you can see it. You can look it up. The home stress scale, it's a well-known. And you can rank yourself on that. There's a home stress, just Google it, you'll find it. And it says the more the change you have in life, the more stressed out you're gonna get. So we need a place of stability, a base that's predictable that you can count on. Alvin Toffler calls those places islands of stability in our lives in times of rapid change. And we all go through change in our life. We have illnesses. Most of us don't expect the illness. My wife is not here today because she's preparing to give all you guys a COVID jab. Tomorrow. We have deaths. Some of those are completely unexpected. That can rock your boat, especially as a teenager. We move. But there needs to be a place no matter what where there's a family that I know that I can go to in those times of change and I can count on them. So we need a shelter from the storm when the winds of change blow. The other one, the other great change that comes into our life, often unexpected, is when we have failure. Failure is a storm. Nobody wins all of the time. So let me just say it again. Nobody wins all of the time. Some people panic over losing. You lose sometimes, I lose sometimes, and we all make mistakes. What's really bitter sometimes for some people is when they get passed over for a promotion at work, when you're just as equally qualified. Or maybe somebody in your team, you may be doing right great now, but somebody in your team is having a losing season. And it's hard to rejoice all the time when somebody's, one of your team members, is down. Failure can look like bankruptcy sometimes. Through no fault of your own, your supplier doesn't pay you and you're overly exposed. Things just don't go as planned in life sometimes. Well, you can handle a lot of failure in life if sometimes as a child you come home to hugs. You can handle that. And even as an adult, where there's a shelter from the storm. Notice this, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one. For if one of them falls down, the other one can help them up. But if someone's all alone and falls, that's just too bad because there's no one to help them. That's not God's plan. Family members are fans even when you're having a losing season. 
Things aren't going well. There is shelter in the storm, and they still love and accept you. The third type of storm that can come, and this is extremely painful for some people, and it's probably the most difficult of all to handle, and that's the storm of rejection. When you're rejected, when your kids are rejected, when your grandkids are rejected. We hate to be rejected. To be put down and to be criticized and to be ridiculed. Some of the most difficult rejection you would have experienced is growing up as a child in the playground. Kids are cruel. Oh, aren't they lovely children? Yeah, you should see, talk to some of the teachers. If you don't believe in original sin, <laughs> you just need to go talk to a teacher. Kids can be ruthless. You see, I've, I've had four kids, and not one of them I have, have I ever had to say, this is how to be rude, lesson number one. This is how to be ungrateful. This is how to be mean. I'm always bending them back the other way. This is how to be nice. This is how to be polite. This is how to be thankful. This is how to be grateful. This is how to be positive. Da, 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 da. Always bending. That's because we are born with a... Remember the old days? Some of you are old enough to know the days when we, when we have... Um, not power steering, and we also used to have, uh, you, you, if you took a car, you wanted to buy a car, one of the things you'd do is you'd drive down the road flat, of course, and you'd just go along, and you'd be going along 50, 60 k's, and you just put the foot on the brakes with not even touching the steering wheel. Some cars you did that would go shoo, off the other way because they were bent in a certain direction, and children are like that. That's called a doctrine. It's a basic doctrine of original sin. We spend our life as parents and grandparents helping them go back the correct way to learn respect. Many of you today can even remember points of pain when you were a child or embarrassing situations when somebody said something to you and it hurt. That's happening to your children today and your grandchildren. And if you didn't have anyone to go home to to reinforce the positive in your life, that actually can have a lifelong negative effect. Actually, yesterday, Kimberly and I were just coming back from Queenstown and we met a, a dear young lady called AC. She'd been born in Colombia. South Americans have got a certain um, accent, style, build, like that's just the way they are. But she was adopted by two Dutch parents. Oh. I'm not so sure you could get to further distant and disparate cultures. So she grew up in Holland as a little South American Colombian little girl. And people used to poke fun at her all the time. Why don't you look like us? And even family friends had come to, uh, you know, new people had come to their house and they'd look at the pictures she wasn't there and go, who's that? Yeah, this is my daughter. They go, no. She grew up with that for most of her life, and she just let this out. She was a waiter at one of the places we'd just been to. And she took that deep rejection. She still carries that today. And I only spoke to her yesterday morning about this time. Luckily, her dad was very emotionally supportive. Her mother was not. That's sad. But she got through that situation because of her dad's emotional support. Friends, think about this. When you play board games, we used to play lots of board games. That's before we had screens and all that stuff. The goal of most of those board games was, was to get home. 
Because when you're home, you are safe. You are safe. Homes were meant and designed and built by God for safety. They shelters in the storm where you can be consoled and comforted and cared for. That's what they're designed for. Many of you remember the pain as a teenager, even breaking up. When you go through that period of rejection, you need a shelter from the storm. You need someone in your life who cares for you. So how do you do that? How do you turn practically? Okay, we've built the case for that. But how do you do that? Four quick ways, which you may want to write down somewhere on your outline there. Four quick ways to love your family when they're going through a tough time. Number one, uh, let me give them quickly. Hear, hug, help, and hope. Number one, hear. Hear. H-E-A-R. Your children, your teenagers especially, need a listening ear if you're going to build a shelter in the storm. Don't turn a deaf ear. Don't be too busy. Get off your device and listen. Get down with them in their world. Understand what's going on in their world. Second, so you're here, hug. Give them a touch. I still hug and kiss my daughter. She's married with three kids, and I actually hug and kiss my boys. Those of you who know my family, we're very hands-on. Martin knows he's in my home group, but he's enough of the hands-on. <laughs> but physical affection these days is not often given in a loving manner. This is hugs and kisses and pats on the back. We do that all the time. Thirdly, help. You hear, you hug them. Don't get the distant macho deal. There's times for that, but there's times for tenderness. Then there's help. Help them out. Is there some way that you can practically help your children, your grandchildren? And then you need to give them hope. You build each other up. Build up. The world tears down. You don't look like this, so you're not my team. You haven't got this skill. You haven't got these possessions. You need, here's a good, uh, James Dobson, this is not mine. James Dobson said you need to be careful to concentrate on giving more strokes than pokes. Give more strokes than pokes. Because with four kids, always correcting them back this way, you've actually got to be actively looking for things to affirm. And I'm not talking shining them off. When, you, when they have got great manners, you, you acknowledge that. When they deliver on time, you acknowledge that. But look, because otherwise it's easy to just expect that. You lift people up. You don't tear them down and criticize them all the time. Because you know what? When I was a younger father, I determined I did not want to be the type of dad that was always criticizing my kids. And the other night, it was my birthday. And I'll, I'll just say this because not for anything special of that, I've done a lot of things wrong. So let me just say, I'm not saying here as a paragon of, I've got this together, I haven't. But one thing my kids mentioned, this is out of their mouths. They said, Dad, we never knew that we couldn't fail. We felt secure enough to go for it. And that was something that's a great gift. It's worth more than all the money in the world to them. So God meant homes to be shelters in storms. That's why divorce is so flipping painful. I know my mum and dad were divorced. 
The place of acceptance, the, the, this is the problem, the place of, so that should be an acceptance, becomes the place of rejection. My dad said, no, I don't want you guys. I'm happy. See it. That's literally what he said. The shelter from the storm then, which it should be, becomes the center of the storm. Thank God that's where Jesus came into my life. Because I realized this ain't stable. What is stable in this world is that anything. And at 13 years old, I realized the only thing that was was God's love for me because it never changes and it's not based on my performance. So God's ideal is that homes will be sheltered from the storm. Get it? Okay, and I gave you four ideas there, right, that you can take a look at there. You can hear, hug, help, and hope. Hear, hug, help, and hope. Four things there you can inject as parents, grandparents, and as parents-to-be one day. Number two, family is a learning center for life. A learning center. What? Yeah, your family is where you learn your basic skills of how to walk, talk, eat, how you had manners, all about social interaction, and how you actually built up your worldview. Interesting verse, Psalm 144, verse 12. May our sons in their youth be like plants. I've got a garden, I know what they're all about. Plants that grow up, not weak, not that succumb to the storms, but that are strong, made your sons. And the Bible often compares a family to a garden. It's a place to grow little people into big people. And gardens teach us how to grow people. Just like we, I've just put, what, 14 new hedges into my place, and each one of them wanged in stakes next to each one of them, next to each one of those things, and I've tied them up. And every day, or every, actually, that's not true, you know, every day. about every week I go along and I, I, I adjust the, the, how I tie them to these stakes. Now, I do that very young. If I leave it till it's later, I'll just leave them be, and then I'll try and stick a stake in the ground to keep it straight, and I'll break it back up. You know what I'm going to do that tree? I'm going to break it. So train your children young. As they grow up, train them. Now, especially in what area? Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't discourage them at the same there and drive them to anger. Instead, bring them up. So don't do that, but do this. Bring them up in the training. You want to circle these training and instruction of the Lord. That's what a family is to have. You may want to circle that because that's what a family is to have. That's a direct command. So when you're training your children, you want to take them through three stages in life. Firstly, macro, before I drill into the smaller areas. You want to move them from initially parental control. That's where they start. They need to be under control there. Then to self-control. So whether or not mum and dad's there, they do the right thing. They're under control. It's one thing when they're under your nose. You need to graduate from that to when they do it right themselves because they want to. It's not externally imposed because of the consequence. It's because they I now am self-controlled. This is what I want to do, and it's the right thing. To finally, God control. So God intends for families to be learning sinners for life. In the same way, the Bible talks in Luke 2.52, a famous passage. Luke, Jesus grew in four different ways. Number one, he grew in wisdom, intellectual growth. Now, most parents spend a lot of time and effort and energy on this area. Have you done your homework? They show up for every single parent-teacher interview. I did I was there for every one of them. So I have, by the grace of Jesus, spent quite a lot of time in higher education. So intellectual growth was a very important part. I wanted my kids not to be 
necessarily have degrees, but I wanted to do the best with what they had. That was the most important. Degrees are not important. What is important is what you do with what you have. So Jesus grew in wisdom, intellectual growth. Then he also grew in physical growth, in stature. The Bible talks about in that in Luke 2.52. And we often do that. We send him to sports. We say, get off the couch, don't go out here, mow the lawns, do the hedge, whatever it is, to help them develop their physical bodies. And that's important too. Then it says, he grew in favor with God. That's spiritual growth. How much time do we spend and effort and money and resource do we spend on those areas? So we spend a lot on the soccer or the sports. And then favor with man. And that's social growth. That your children will be well-adjusted, able to get on with people to the best of their ability. Now, that ought to be the goal of your family in the same way it was the goal of what Jesus grew. He grew intellectually, spiritually, socially, and physically. Now, we learn a lot of things from our families. There are three things that I can definitely tell you you will not leave home without. Number one, you will learn relationships in your home. How to relate to others. It's part of the great commandment. Love God and love others. Love God and love others as you love yourself. So for good or bad, right or wrong, effective or ineffective, you're going to learn to relate in your home. That's why it's so important that we learn good relationships at home. For example, things like relationships are worth saving. We don't just ah, burn them. We work through those things. We work on them. Your children need to see you working on the relationships, not just baps. Do they see you investing in your relationship? Do they see you going away? Kimberly and I, when we had four kids, we did, we did a swap with some of our, our friends. We went away for marriage weekends to constructively learn how to improve our marriage. That's not something you just come out fully licensed with. It takes practice. So are you investing? Do your kids see you? Do your grandkids see you investing in growing and working through this thing called marriage? Do they see you talking out your problems? Or do they see you foof blowing foo-foo valves and fuming? Do you watch your attitudes? Do they see how those attitudes? Or it may not, you, you might be the type of family that has disagreements, but you don't talk about them. Others talk about them very loudly. What are you modeling to your children? Because do you want them to take that into their future relationships? Whatever we want them to children to, homes are a great place to teach. So we are helping our kids determine how they're going to relate to others the rest of their lives, and we only have them for such a short period of time. The second thing you're not going to leave without, and you're going to learn at home, is character. Much of what you are, you basically picked up from your parents. And character is something, is <clears throat> let me try and have a shot at that, that's like repeated patterns of behavior. That's what it is. What you repeatedly do, like father, like son, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Friends, character is caught, not taught. You don't sit down and say, here are the, although I must admit before my children left home, I had a list of 57 different skills and attributes I wanted my kids to learn. I was very intentional about it. I still have that. 
things I wanted my kids to learn, characteristics and attitudes, because how can you hit a target you can't see? Are you clear about what you want your children to leave home with? The attitudes and the skills and the relationship values. For example, character again is caught, not taught. So here's how this works. The phone rings. On the old days, it used to ring. And how many times have I seen this? Oh, tell them I'm not home. Your kids watch your actions very closely. Not what you say. It's what you do that matters. Three, values. Your kids are going to leave home with values. Things that they value. Think of the things that we learned at home about work, about industry, about time, how we spend time, we invest time, money, sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your kids know what you watch, what you allow on that TV, on those screens. About play, do you take time to play? My mum used to say, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Take some time to play. What about God? How kind of important really is he in your home? How about other people? Do you make time for other people outside your family? So our values come through very loud and definitely clear. Unintentionally sometimes, and sometimes intentionally. So let's, my suggestion to you is let's be very intentional about the way we live our lives. Robert here has just completed a particular set of skills, and he had to be checked off every single one of those. The people who set that out before he leaves this course, he had to have those checked off. Before your children leave your home, have you even figured out what you are, or you just, ah, let it go as it goes. I think the school can figure this out. Be careful of that one. Isaiah 38, 19, Living Bible. One generation, that's us, makes known what? Your faithfulness to the next. See, your family values are like a relay race of values. And you're passing the baton onto your children. And they will then pass that baton onto the next generation, your grandchildren. So your family is just one link in a long chain throughout the time. In other words, here's a thought. I'm actually influencing people down the line even today. So question. I have a question for you. And if you, if you want to move forward in this area, I suggest you write this down. And be specific. Nothing in your life will change until you get specific. What am I... Let me, let me have another shot of that. What are you passing on to your kids in your learning centre? What are you passing on to your kids and your grandkids? Especially, especially about the Lord. While you have them in your short time, you need to be intentional because you'll wake up. Right now, some of you think this is a long time. I can't wait till I get out of it. Friends, it'll be gone like that. And some of you who haven't got kids are going, What? Have you ever heard this line, for example? 
Well, I have many times. I'm not going to impose my spiritual values on my kids. I'm just going to let them decide for themselves. <clears throat> now, if you've ever done any critical thinking, you'll realize there's a major flaw in that. And I have a theological word for that. It's called rubbish. <laughs> it's actually very, 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 very unloving to have that attitude. Because, let me tell you why, anyone who says they will let their kids decide for themselves is implying something. You know what they're implying? That God is an option. And he is not. He is the ultimate reality. So if you are not being intentional about teaching your kids, your family about God, you are making a major mistake that has not just, oh well, you can have another shot. Eternal implications. It's not just a matter of let them decide. They don't know whether their pants are on fire at that point in time. So if you're a parent, part of your just job description is teaching godly values. Here it is, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These commandments, impress them. Impress them. Impress them. Are you impressing them on your children? Talk about them. Are you talking about them? Intentionally. When? When you sit down at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Well, well probably not. Why? Because we don't walk along the road anymore. We lie down with our devices. And they're in their room, watching their deal, and you're doing your deal. We're glued to our TV. Actually, I did a quick refresh. This week, AC Nielsen says... Kiwis watching TV or work at work or play on their computer, an average of three hours a day. That's 21 hours a week. That's half a working week, right? That's 1,092 hours a year. Let me put it in perspective. Let's say you work 16 hours a day on this. 16 hours a day on this. You'd be watching over one year, 68 straight days of TV or media. A year. I won't depress you with how many years of this over your entire 60 years of life that you're probably going to watch. If on the other hand, you bring your kids to All Stars and Sparkle and they go to church once a week every year, perfect attendance, no sickness, no party, no holidays, no nothing, perfect attendance, 6.5 days of Bible teaching. So I ask you, where are your kids getting their values? 68 days a year? in worldly media or six and a half days in the Word of God a year, if perfect. So obviously to address that imbalance, you need some significant input at home and at youth where the Bible is taught, not just some social time or have lots of pizzas, but where the scriptures are taught. Another good example is if I was a if I was a parent or a grandparent, I would be sending my kids every opportunity I got to a camp like you've just seen because they were immersed in Christian fellowship, in good biblical values, and a great Christian teaching, and they'll learn about Jesus. Do not leave that too late. Most importantly, we need to clarify and clearly realize that our kids are picking up these values from us that they're getting at the moment. So what's my response to this? You may want to evaluate yourself on that and ask yourselves two things. What am I unintentionally teaching my kids? 
What am I unintentionally teaching my kids? That work is the God I serve 300 and however many days a year. What am I unintentionally teaching them about money? Is it a thing I love is it, or is it something to be used? Wisely, of course. What am I teaching them about sex? Related to the kind of movies that we stream. What am I teaching them about character and honesty? All the issues of life. About the value of hard work. What am I teaching them about the importance of family dinners and the ability to relax? Oh, don't forget that. The ability to relax. And then ask yourself, is this really what I want to teach him? Or do I want to change course? Does it match what I want to teach him and what I'm doing as parents, as grandparents? What do I want them to know? What do I want them to leave home with? What heritage do I want them to have? Even down to basic stuff. So I've talked a lot about the importance of Christian character and learning about the Lord because everything else will pass away. But there are other things too. Very basic. Can your boys cook? What? Do they know how to drive a washing machine? Now they're licensed. <laughs> Can they iron without burning a hole? or making your pants shiny. <laughs> Can your girls, do they know how to change a tire? Do they know where the oil is? Do they know what? You need to be intentional about those things, otherwise life just goes to the blue. So in preparing the shelter from the storm, I demonstrate love. But in preparing our learning center for life, I need to evaluate my life values and say, what's really important to me and to us? What do I really want to teach them? Third, family is a place to play. It's a format for fun. A haven for happiness, a place to have a good time. And that's missing in a lot of homes. Often I find a lot of people are really keen about the learning center, learning center academics. And then the father typically thinks he's the boot camp lead guy like on the Sound of Music with Julie Andrews, remember? He'd blow the whistle and the kids would march in and then march out. Ecclesiastes 9.9. Again, a great verse. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. Enjoy life. Another verse further down is Proverbs 5.19. Be happy with your wife and find your joy with the girl you married. You probably heard the phrase, a family that prays together stays together. That's true. But I also want to say the family that plays together, plays together, stays together. The family that has fun. So many homes have the basic problem is they just need to lighten up, chill out. And it starts with the parents. Lighten up and have fun with your kids, relax and enjoy. Four, you know, we had four kids, as I say, and I used to try and get time out with each of them individually. So before my corporation got a bite of my life, I put something in there for my wife in the week, something in there for Helen, something in there for Josh, Stephen and Nathan. Just one thing. On one of the times though, for example, that my kids, I'll just give you one. Now this may seem like heresy and academic malpractice to some of you, all right? I should never have done this. But I actually took my kids out of school. I came to the office 
And it's not untrue. I said, uh, excuse me, I'd like to have my son Joshua, please. Why? He's got an appointment. Okay. They didn't ask who it was with. It was with... <laughs> and we took the day off and went ice skating. And the beauty about that is nobody's at the ice skating ring when nobody's at school. <laughs> he remembers it to this day. And we had fun for the day and done similar things. But you have to be intentional to have fun with your kids. Do you enjoy your family? Because if you don't have fun with your kids, don't be surprised when they grow up if they don't come back as much as you'd like. Kids want to be where the fun is. So what's my response? Number one, I ought to demonstrate my love. I evaluate my values. I celebrate my family. Because we can get all too serious about work and worries and what Jesus calls the cares of this world. So enjoy the family that God's given you because they will not be under your roof forever. And then you're going to have to share them. And that's quite the adjustment. Psalm 127 verse 3. Children are a gift from God. They're his reward. Children are like sharp arrows, happy as a man whose quiver is full of them. Kids are only with you for a season. Make the most of it. Now, there's some great resources I just want to quickly point you to. Here's the first one. It's from Focus on the Family. This is a trusted resource. They've got great ideas for every one of these steps I've been talking to you about today. Good ideas if you have your kids at home or if you're grandparents and this is a whole new role to you. Great place. Another one, if I had my time again, I'd absolutely. This is my good friend, Natasha. These are conversations that you need to have with your children and your grandchildren and be familiar because they're having them whether you like it or not. So my advice to you is that you bone up on this. You know what the conversations are and you've at least schooled yourself up. Don't give them the book. They want to hear from you. They don't want to hear from somebody else. They, want, they will never read this book. You need to because these are the questions they're asking and she's done a darn good job of that. Number four. Now, by the way, that'll help them build a lasting faith. Number four, God means for the family to be a catalyst for ministry. Have you ever thought of a family being as a ministry team together? Now, in other words, having some projects to benefit other people and serve the Lord together. Look at this verse here. This is a biblical example. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. Loving Bible talks about this. Stephanus and his family, and his family, and his family, were the first to become Christians in Greece. And they are... This is what they're doing, spending their lives helping and serving Christians everywhere. See, it's not all about them. The worst thing you can do for your children is make it about them. That'll breed entitlement and other evil fruits. What a great goal, though, like this guy. To see a family as a launch pad for the kingdom of God. How do you do it? By helping and serving other believers. Are you helping and serving other people? Do your children see that? Or is it all egocentric and all about the nuclear family? Nuclear family is very important, but it's got to be more than that. See, you serve God by serving other people. Are you using any of your skills, talents, and abilities to help anybody outside of your family? This is how you demonstrate that for free. The greatest gift you can give your children if you're a parent is not a bunch of money at the end of your life. It's not being the beneficiary of a trust. The greatest gift you can give your children is living as a parent who loves Jesus authentically 
A mum and dad who, by their actions, prove they love Jesus Christ and live their lives for him, not for the world, not for the latest car, the latest fashion, this, that, that. Because that is a mirage. You're teaching your children, your grandchildren to chase stuff that will never ultimately satisfy. Oh, it'll help for a while. You get your latest iPad. It happens. It gives you a lift for about, what, two or three, four months? And then a new one comes out. Then you get dissatisfied with this one. Or the newest Android. That's a mugs game. Fathers, if you're a believer today, your number one priority in life is not your job. Yes, you are to provide for your family for their needs, not their greeds. It's first your relationship to God personally, because how can you lead where you have never been yourself? Then it's your relationship to your wife. Do they see you placing your wife as that next priority? And then it's to help your kids to know God's love. That is your job. It's in your job description. They also need to experience the love of God coming through you. And then you need to lead them to know Jesus and love him back. Praying for them constantly so that, as it says here, the whole family, in that verse, was filled with joy because they'd come to believe in God. See, if your family are already Christians, then what do you do? Well, you may want to choose a practical ministry project that you can do together. Just to wrap up, a couple of practical projects that may help here. Simply helping other Christians and hospitality. Romans 12, 13. When God's children are in need, now let me be clear about this. Be very careful because some Christians lose their brains here. I don't do things for people that can do them themselves. That's called lazy. I do things for when people, they cannot do themselves and I have the ability to help. When God's children are in need, help them out. Don't ignore them. Get into the habit. Ooh, this is interesting. The habit, repeated pattern behavior of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. That was the case back then. So this used to be common in the church, helping other Christians out. Now, if you don't know anybody who's a Christian who needs some help and you're stuck for that, you just write the communication card. I know plenty that need some help right now. Genuine help. Or you invite people over. In those days, they were always going over to people's homes for dinner. So hospitality is becoming a lost art because we're so busy pursuing our own goals and objectives. So don't be surprised if you don't invite people in. They, your children don't see that. Your grandchildren don't see that. That they don't get that habit. So they never had that modelled. So what should your response be in making your home a ministry launching pad? Well, if you've dedicated your life to God, I challenge you to dedicate your home to God. And maybe it could be used as a small group for a small group meeting or invite some people over for lunch, but dedicate your home to God. Friends, we've barely scratched the surface today on what God's plan is for the family. Please remember though, there are no perfect families because there are no perfect people. It's like a church. If you ever find a perfect church, never join it because it won't be perfect anymore, right? My guess is every single family needs to be strengthened. Everyone, including mine. We're all in the same boat together. Now, what about singles? And we'll wrap it. If you've never been married, or you've been formally married, two things. Don't discount or ignore your, the relatives you have. Whoever might be alive at this point, don't ignore them. Secondly, realize as a Christian, you're part of a larger church family, which in Galatians 6.10 is referred to as the church. 
The church is called a family of believers. It's just a larger family and a larger expression of what should be going on in the smaller, fam in the smaller family. And you commit yourself to a local family. And by the way, many of the characteristics God describes to the natural family we're to do as a church. For example, a church is to be a shelter for storms. The church is to be a learning center for life. The church is the place where you have fun and you have fellowship and it's a launch pad for ministry. So if you don't have a natural family in proximity of where you live, can I suggest you make this your family? Let's bow our heads. Friends, I encourage you to evaluate the strength of your family today. And ask yourself, what kind of shelter is my family? When the people in my family are going through a tough time, am I an encourager or a discourager? Does our family offer that sort of protection from the change and the rejection and the failures from the problems that come into our lives? Would you say, God, would you this week help me demonstrate my love? Help me to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And maybe now's a good time to think about what are your kids learning in your home about the Lord, about eternity, about the reality of life and death. Maybe they're learning more about sports. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to rethink some of your priorities. Maybe it's a good time to think, what would your husband say is the most important thing to you or your wife by your actions? What would your kids say is most important to you? What character qualities are you unintentionally teaching in your home? Would you say, God, help me evaluate my priorities this week? Is your family fun? You only have your kids for a short season, and even after they're gone, you still ought to be having fun with whosoever is there. Would you say, Father, help me this week to celebrate my family, to lighten up a bit? and to plan something fun together. And then have you dedicated your home to God? Are you praying for the salvation of your family? Because if Christianity is true, we leave this earth and we relocate. That they may know the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, their Savior, and that we may spend eternity together in heaven. I can't understand why that would not be a priority. In all that you do. Ask for God's help. Father, we commit our lives to you, but we also commit our families to you. And I pray that New Hope would be a place where we build strong families, successful lives based on your word. As we look at your word in these weeks ahead, teaches and encourages us. Help us and challenge us. And help us to let go of the failures of the past and to get on with the future, a bright future. We pray this in Jesus' name.